This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I started twerking last night. Dunno, just did. Was listening to the Radio Wolfgang and the urge just took me to twerk. No, I was terrible, obviously. Come on. You could get caught in the cold. What's that thing that really makes you want to get up in the morning? Well, for me, I guess the simplest answer is I like money. Here we go, Will. Hello and welcome to the It's Nice That podcast with me, Alex Beck. And me, Will Hudson. It's Nice That is a website showcasing creative work from all around the world. We look at everything from design and illustration to video, photography and everything else in between. In this series, we're going to pick creative things that people like and experience, whether that's Christmas ads, album covers, video games and work out why they're successful. So what are we talking about today? Today, Will, we're going to be talking about money. I know you love it. <laughs> never, never leaves your pocket. I don't love money. It's of course not you like love I, money, Will. It's the last thing I think of at night and the first thing. It's not. It's, it's money's kind of money. Money's kind of money, everyone. Newsflash, money is kind of money. But money is such a great example of what we're trying to do in this podcast. Is that kind of ubiquitous aspect of daily life. But when was the last time you actually looked at your 5, 10, 20 pound note, coppers? other end of the spectrum i think that's a really good point yeah it's one of those things that just exists and is inherently amazingly creative beautiful illustration amazing design but when have i ever actually properly looked at it i think you know that new fiver that came out the polymer one that you can wash or or you can't rip or whatever it's called um i like you say you can wash like you're like i've always wanted to wash a fiver (laughs) it's like now finally go home spend my weekend washing and ironing my money would you iron your pants or your money first uh, neither. Neither. <laughs> neither. I think I think we're um, digressing a little bit, but yeah, you know when that Fiverr came out and had the see-through bit, all the different like techniques and products and materials and those kind of things. It's amazing. I, it doesn't get enough credit. I can't think of anything designed that more people come into contact with on a daily basis. Also, the one pound coin is coming out, and it's going to be the most secure coin ever. Or it's very hard to replicate, very hard to counterfeit. Have you seen it? What do you think about it? I've only seen pictures. It's what you expect. I think this is part of the challenge with designing currency and and money that you use day to day. I think it's very difficult to do something extraordinary. I do think the £5 note, the material aspect and how it feels holds far greater power than actually what it looks like to me. That thing of when you kind of take 
change out of your pocket and you quite quickly know what you're holding just through the feel of it. I really kind of struggle to remember what's on coins because I rarely find myself just kind of looking at them. Well, you never put your hand in your pocket, that's why. <laughs> How many more of those have you got? <laughs> so many. My whole sheet is just full of jokes about well, you Well, cash them in now, mate. Cash them in now. Back to um, currency and actually what we're talking about. The £5 note was amazing. But it, for me, that didn't feel like money. And I know because it was a completely new material, but it was something so disappointing about it for me that it felt cheap. It didn't feel like... I don't know, I was so used to that beautiful clothy one of the £5 notes that I was a bit sad about the way it felt. But the way it looked, amazing. The way it felt... Bit sad. What do you think about it now, though? Now that you've you've used them for what must be six months, it's still weird. I still find it really weird, and I'm still not sure I believe it. I really like them. I think it's reflective of 2016, 2017. I think it's what you'd expect money to start to feel like and look like. So, in the new one pound coin, I'm a bit worried that it's not going to feel the same. There's that power, you know, that beautiful like otherworldly density to a pound when it drops you know it's a pound when you hear it it's a pound that almost is like no other object that i know about that that quality of it that do you think it'll stay that way i think like everything you've got to embrace change and it'll be weird at the beginning <laughs> but do you know though how long we've had that one pound coin in circulation i don't know 1983 that's been in circulation longer than i've been alive when were you born 1984 one year extra. But I think that totally backs up what you've just said, though, is because for your entire life, the one pound coin has been identical. So therefore, it's obviously going to feel very familiar. Whereas I think, again, I think the new one pound coin is the same as I said about the five pound note. It feels very today. It feels like it should. And I think it's got some incredible design attributes. It's got this amazing pound symbol that when you look at it from from one angle, you see the pound symbol. When you look at it from another angle, you get a, a numerical one. Yeah, they call it a latent image. I think it's amazing. Yeah, I think really it's nice. absolutely brilliant. Uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing one. And also, unlike us from 1983 to now, it's thinner, lighter and bigger. <laughs> Do you like that? <laughs> and people didn't think this was scripted it's, it's amazing here's here's one so we're obviously very familiar with currency in this country what do you think of when you think of kind of the currency in the bank notes and, and everything when you go abroad it's, it's an amazing thing right because it is the first thing people see before they enter the country really that is an amazing opportunity more than anything else for an amazing bit of communication about culture or about the place or something else and in that way I think money feels like a bit of a wasted opportunity surely it can do more than just show who's in charge and a nice bit of scenery or something. Yeah, it's just a pity that it is just a famous old person and a bit of scenery. But what would you put on it? Have you seen the Shinetta Norwegian notes? They're beautiful, right? Abstract, kind of feel quite modern. And with it, weirdly, although I love it as a piece of design, I think if I had those banknotes, I'd go, oh, a bit cheap, I don't really believe it. Like me with the £5 note. Although beautiful, is that the place for amazingly contemporary design? I don't think so. No, I'm with you. I think it needs to be a bit kind of oldie worldy, kind of kind of engraved detail and needs a bit of clout, doesn't it? Yeah. I need, I need to believe that this is serious. When it's all abstract shapes and block colours, I'm like, all right. I'm interested in why we even use money. Like, where's it come from? Why is it kind of this thing that we, we just expect? Today, I'm really interested to find out whether that briefing of a new banknote or a new coin is actually an interesting job to get involved in, or do the people behind it just are bored by the same parameters? And also, will it still be around? I mean, that is the question on everyone's lips. Is it going to be through our fingers? Is it going to be through a card? Is it going to be through our phones? Or are we always going to have a nice heavy pound coin to, to pass over the desk? 
So today we'll be finding out if the function and characteristics of money define what form it comes in. To do that, we'll be speaking with the Professor of the History and Philosophy of Economics at the London School of Economics, Professor Mary Morgan. We'll also be hearing about the history of money from City Money Gallery curator Ben Alsop, and we'll be talking to Julian Payne from Delarue about the production of money. Uh, My favourite coin of all time is the United States quarter. The currency, the banknotes in the States are awful because they're all green and they're all the same size, but the coins are terrific. Two pounds. It's quite nice. Always shiny. Because even the one pound coin, some of them is quite, you can see, it's very, very old one. But whenever you see the two pound coin, it's shiny. That's why. The The current coin I like is the one penny. It's half the size of the two penny. Um, my favourite coin is the 50p piece because when I was growing up, I really liked the story of the Queen's Nose where you rub a 50p piece and then all your wishes come true. Our next guest is Ben Alsop, the project curator of the City Money Gallery at the British Museum, and they have 800,000 objects of currency. Currently we're in the City Money Gallery, which is a gallery at the British Museum that charts over 4,500 years of monetary history, and it covers all areas of the inhabited globe. In the gallery today we have about 1,500 objects, which is small in comparison to the Department of Coins and Medals collection, which has over 800,000 objects. Money can be any number of different objects, really. We understand it in the contemporary world as kind of coins or banknotes and so on, but it's fulfilled many different roles and has been made of many different things over the years. So we start in Mesopotamia, which is modern-day Iraq, about four and a half thousand years ago, because this is where we have a record of transactions, so we get a sense of what was used to form money. Precious metals are at the forefront of it, so gold and silver, they're kind of a through-line through the history of money. But also you get other objects, so uh, different types of metals, tins, bronzes, coppers, even cowrie shells, jade. These are all things which have a monetary role because either they're aesthetically pleasing, they're easily transportable, um, they have a certain rarity to them, which means that they can be used in transactions as well. But it's all obviously to do with um, demand and, and what humans will deem as having monetary worth, really. So the thing to understand about particularly coinage in terms of the monetary world is that before the invention of the printing press, money is the great mass communicator. There's nothing else that is made in such numbers um, so quickly that can spread over thousands of miles um, due to trade and due to the movement of money, transmitting messages and ideas, languages, imagery, uh, even religious beliefs over thousands of miles. So it is, it's generally world-changing in that sense on a communicative basis. So, for instance... In Britain, the first examples of the written word are on coins. And and also what's fascinating, particularly about Iron Age coinage in Britain, it takes examples from uh, ancient Greek coinage and and Roman coinage, but it gives it a really interesting kind of uh, visual twist and it's very abstract in its design. So a horse and chariot becomes dots and lines, so it's a very abstract concept. And that's what's fascinating as well, is that you can see through this coinage a, a move and a change in kind of artistic expression as well. So one of the major innovations in human history, I would wager, is the creation of the banknote, um, which begins in China over a thousand years ago now. What it's doing is asking people to trust. So it's asking you that what was essentially intrinsically valuable in terms of metal, but this paper isn't worth intrinsically what it says it's worth. Um, So we have an example here of a Ming Dynasty banknote from the 14th century, which has an image of a thousand coins on it, and it asks the person to trust that it is worth a thousand coins. 
And this is the basis of our modern economic system. It is a truly revolutionary moment, this idea of trust. Money has always just been representations or examples of. And so when you think of a coin, it's a representation of the idea of money, really, the concept, the mechanism that money is. The history of money is as much about the intangible as it is about the tangible. At its heart is ideas and concepts as opposed to actual objects. It feels like the most incredible thing to have 800,000 objects of currency, but it seems so socially important that, of course, there's a big archive of money. You know, there's an archive of loads of stuff that's less important than that. So I hope it's well catalogued. It'd be annoying to kind of have to try and find something and sifting through 800,000 items. What, like not being able to find your wallet? Yeah, but your wallet is like, it's a number of places, isn't it? I like that it feels very natural, the way money has developed and organically been, you know, gone from shelves to something else. I really like that idea that it was always going to happen and it will always happen. I mean, currency in general, like, you know how much a £5 note is worth, don't you, Will? £5. £5. £10. One out of one. Ten. <laughs> Good. I'm on a roll. Um, there's obviously banknotes and coins that have such historical value that they're worth tons and tons and tons more money. So there is one, the most expensive a collectible coin and banknote in the world is um, from nine, 1794, five flowing hair silver copper dollar, and it's worth $10 million. $10 million. What is it, sorry? It's, it's a dollar coin worth $10 million because it was the first dollar coin issued by the US federal government in 1794 and 95. It'd be good to find one of those down the sofa, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Although you probably wouldn't know it, you'd probably go, what is this? Just... <laughs> Made.com, it doesn't come with a uh, 1794 $10 million coin, unfortunately. It's 10% copper, 90% silver. You know, it's not even that. It doesn't even sound that exciting. 100% worth a lot of money. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was one was sold in January 2013 for $10 million. So with inflation, it's probably worth a bit more than that. There's loads. The, the second most expensive is a 1933 double eagle, which is worth $7.6 million. Would you buy that? I mean, you've got to be pretty seriously collected, haven't you? Yeah, but I'm guessing that's who their target audience is, isn't it? It's not like, fancy a coin, seven, seven million. Is there a British one in there? I tell you what, oh, I like this one, I like this one. So there's a 2007 $1 million coin. What? There's a $1 million coin. Did someone weighs... just slip on the, on the engraving and put a, accidentally <laughs> put a few too many zeros up? It's worth... Just wasn't concentrating. Ah, <laughs> oh, shit. This one's more. You're such an idiot. <laughs> it weighs 100 kilograms. I mean, of itself, it's a bit of a rarity, it says. Um, it was specially minted by the Royal Canadian Mint. This $1 million coin is made from 99.99% gold. I think we've got. I think we understand now. So you're saying the actual face value of it, if you took it into like the post I don't office, know, yeah, <laughs> uh, just pack of crisps. There you go. Have you got, have you got a change? <laughs> do you ever do that? Do you ever apologise for like? Yeah. Oh, sorry, mate. I've only got twenty. As if like he doesn't care. No. Sometimes he does care though. If he doesn't mm. get any change, if you do that at like a village fete. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Oh my god. Right. Our next guest is Professor Mary Morgan. Why don't you tell us what your role is and, and what you do? I'm a historian and philosopher of economics, which means I think and study and teach about how economics works as a science and how it developed as a science and how economists thought about various things in the economy over the last few centuries. Wow. So why don't you explain to our listeners who've never really thought about money, the function of money? Why is it there? What has, um, why has it come about? Which might sound obvious to you, but... I think we don't really know why it's come about in the sense that 
the stories about how money came along are mostly folk stories. I don't think we have an account of exactly when someone invented it. So the folk stories are mostly stories about how people bartered and then they realised it was really inconvenient to barter because you took your cow to the market and you wanted, you know, some apples and some pears and some flour and some, you know, textiles and there was no way you could cut your cow up in the right bits in order to exchange. So barter gradually, this is the folk story, gave way to things which were easily exchangeable, which everybody would accept, and it had to be small enough so that it would you could put it in your bag or your pocket. So gradually something evolved which became commonplace, accepted as a means of exchange, and then you've got something called money. Got it. So it's about it's practicality, really, so isn't it? It's a practicality, yeah. And so we also experience and observe that in most of the societies we know historically and across the world, there is something that serves as money, even if it's not coins or banknotes. I mean, as it goes, it's a pretty big idea, isn't it's it? It's a pretty big idea. It's a pretty yeah. big idea. Yeah. And it's a fairly flexible sort of thing because if you find societies which don't have the right kinds of money, they people start inventing it. So, uh, you know, if you go to societies which don't have enough small change, you'll find that they'll substitute for coins, they'll substitute pegs or sweets or anything which is universally acceptable, universally usable to substitute for the fact that they can't actually give you change for this note. Um, In societies which are cut off from money, you find money develops very, very quickly. So the standard prisoner of war camp money was cigarettes. I suspect that was the standard money in modern prisons until it became drugs. But, you know, that's something which is small, divisible, has some value, whatever the functions are, which we can talk about. But most societies seem to need and find some kind of money. So what are those functions? So it must be um, a measure of value of things. So when you think about taking your good to the market, which is going to be universally exchangeable, you must be able to figure out exactly how much of whatever it is you're trying to exchange it's worth in this money kind of stuff. So it must be something which is very stable, readily available and sort of reliably stable in its value. So when hyperinflations happen, as they do quite periodically, you find that one of the things that sometimes as a result of that is that monetary authorities respond by printing something called commodity money, which says this piece of paper is worth, you know, two bushels of corn or something which everybody needs and has a reliable value and you can exchange for lots of other things. So even if it's not actually the corn, we don't take Got the it. corn to market, you have a piece of paper that says this is worth something, which IOU. we can easily measure. It's an IOU and it's an IOU which measures all the other things you might want to get. Wow. Right. So a measure, a measure of value, which is distinct from being a store of value. So a store of value means it has to have some value in itself, which is that you... You don't want to get me given something today and find tomorrow it's worthless. You want your your the coins and your notes to keep a value, so it must also have some value in itself. I think that's quite an interesting point in that the it seems like such a solid system. It seems to actually try and pick holes in it. It's difficult. Where where do you think there there are still those kind of um, challenges for for money, if there are any? Okay, let me put it the other way around. Money is being challenged all the time. You know, across the world, there's some country that is experiencing a hyperinflation or has run out of small coins or has got money no one trusts because it's the previous government and no one thinks the current government is going to be good at keeping this money supply 
valuable. So all the time it's being challenged. And when it gets challenged, people move to an alternative version. You know, so if you've got paper money and you think it's not worth anything, you want to have proper coinage money. If you've got notes in some country and you think it's no value, you want to go and get dollars. So populations will not create necessarily, but find alternative monies which fulfil these functions of measure, store and, what's the other one? Medium of exchange, yes, small enough that you can put it in your pocket. So it's always being challenged, right? I'm not sure if necessarily this is your kind of area of expertise, but we are going to come on to talk about the kind of the design of money. Mm. What's your kind of interpretation of what the kind of the design of money says about us as a country or other countries as, as countries? Has that had a role to play throughout history? The only thing I really thought about with the design of money is, you know, to think why your king's head or your queen's head is on it. I think that goes back to this older view that the sovereign is responsible, but it's also a mark of authority. You want your money to have an authority figure on it. You know, so you look at our notes now, they always have the queen. They used to always have the signature of the chief cashier of the Bank of England, an authority figure, because the Bank of England notes used to say when Bank of England notes were first issued in the Napoleonic Wars, people were very distrustful of them, quite rightly too. Why should I accept a piece of paper as having any store of value whatsoever? Mm. And what banknotes used to say was, I promise to pay the bearer on demand the sum of. You could take your piece of paper, your £5 note, and get £5 worth of gold because there was an immediate exchange. Well, I don't think you can do that now. (laughs) But you see what I mean? It's an authority that this piece of paper really is worth this much. So there's the promise and there's the signature to the promise and there's the Queen's head to the promise that this is a piece of value. And it must have to be in reasonably limited supply, right, to work? Yes. That, I think, accounts for things like glass beads and cowrie shells and all of these anthropological works on money, you know, where you find societies which pick particular things that they value which we don't have a value for, but they value amongst themselves and which is in limited supply because, as you point out, if you just pick them up on your local beach, they wouldn't have that kind of value. And quite interesting with that, with carry shells, it's not just one country. It's a set of countries that all take them to be this valuable item, which is, of course, small. You can easily carry it. You can take it around. You can exchange it for other things. So it fulfills the functions, but the functions are community-based functions about what you value. I don't know how much you know about like local currencies, like the Brixton pound. So it was a coin that they tried to establish within Brixton to kind of support local communities and that they encouraged people that it stayed within the community because obviously it wouldn't be accepted outside of Brixton. So yeah, there's various sort of versions of this, I think. There's these versions which are um, uh, sort of exchange communities, local exchange communities where you have a set of tasks that people are willing to do, like babysitting, digging the garden, cleaning the car, and you roll these all up into little tasks and you don't actually have any money changing hands. You just do these and you get IOUs for tasks of this numbers of segments. And then there's this question of, well, okay, why isn't this being taxed by the tax man? Because really it's money, but it's not. It's, sort of, it's, a, it's a local barter community. And these, these, these happen all the time with more or less activity in them. Um, so they're a, a barter version, I think, with just a, with, with something which has is, which is got the measure. It's kind of a measure of value because they're units, but it's not necessarily f- fulfilling any wider exchange purpose. And that, that sounds like what yeah. this Brixton one is. But they're often quite important for getting things moving. 
you know, which wouldn't otherwise happen. Yeah. So they have a useful role um, as a, a kind of money, yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's amazing how quickly that topic of tax comes up. Because I remember reading about a pub that the local farmer would um, give uh, fresh produce and would have beer in return. And then at some point the tax man heard about it and was like, well, hang on, this is money. Like you are, ex- you are income, both benefiting, income, but yeah. neither of you are, it's your yeah. bottom line. It's, How does the tax man sleep at night? I think that their answer was like, well, he can have 20% of my carrots or 20% of my potatoes or can have 20% of the beer that I'm giving. It's... It's that thing of like it ultimately will always come down to the cash value. We'll do the next podcast on tax. Yeah. <laughs> Let's save that one. <laughs> Lots of good stories, I'm sure. Well, Mary, thank you so much for coming in. That was an absolute pleasure. My pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. What a complete can of worms. <laughs> I like the fact that it's a, it feels natural to me. The idea that we have to have something for practical reasons because we can't carry our cow and we can't cut it up. Love that. I love that it's not been designed, it's not really been, it's not someone's harebrained idea to make themselves rich or something. It's like, it's just something that someone needed practically to get on with their lives. I, th- I think for me, it was also that thing of the way in which it came in that I think I totally um, uh, underappreciated is how quickly it can also be removed and, and we can go back to bartering and there have been instances that people have resorted to that uh, instead of uh, instead of using money that then starts to hold no value, I also think the trust just came up so much, didn't it? Of like, actually, money is there is a is a, is such an element of trust that you will uh, either pay or hold value, or this thing is worth. I think that's something that I hadn't really considered. This year, all of the UK's old pound coins will be phased out and replaced by these shiny dodecagons with a gold-coloured outer ring and a silver-coloured inner ring. Stop, I don't like it. Because I like it when the pound is round. I like a round pound. I don't know, I don't really like it, to be fair. I like the old ones more. It looks too much like the two-pound coin. Rather than being round, it's got edges, which makes it easier to feel in your pocket, easier to guess, or rather not to guess what the size of it is, but to know for a fact that it is a pound coin. So, on the whole, I'm favourably impressed. Oh, I really like it. The Queen looks awesome. I love her. And they've done her hair very nicely. It's a nice perm. I'm quite concerned about the United Kingdom and Northern Ireland um, emblems. Uh, the leek is fine, the rose is fine. Um, but what about the thistle? If um, Nicola Sturgeon had her way, um, we, she'd be on the Rio in the next few years, so they'd have to have new, new one-pound pieces in the next three or four years, which is probably not what they want to do. Julian, welcome to the studio. You're the creative design director at Delarue. I am. Um, yes, tell us you. what that means and what Delarue do. So um, Delarue are a 200-year-old British company. We make something up to upwards of about 40% of the world's denominations. We design them, print them, manufacture them. We have factories in the UK, most of our factories in the UK, but also in Malta and Sri Lanka and Kenya. And we work really closely in collaboration with governments to create 
what we hope are iconic national designs that sort of represent their countries. I'm absolutely fascinated by uh, the process and the brief, and you've got a few examples in front mm-hmm. of us, but how is a new banknote brought to the table? How is it briefed? How, where do you start? In some ways, it's really like the commercial world, right? So you, what we try to focus with our customers and help them is is who are you designing this thing for? And, and it might sound sort of a bit of an oxymoron, but many of our customers, not all, but many of our customers are often for the first time faced with a kind of a creative brief. So if you think about banknotes, typically um, a guy that's been working or a girl been working at the central bank has been an economist all their lives. They've been worried about, you know, exchange rates and circulation and statistics and, and what's happening to the economy. And then they get this gig called, uh, you're going to design and launch the new banknotes for our country. And, and that's, <laughs> it's quite it's quite frightening, that's right? Daunting, yeah. yeah, it, it I'm is. I'm not sure I'd fancy that. It is. And, and they have not spent their lives in a, in a creative career, in, in a design creative career. I'm sure they've been very creative uh, economically. So, so what we try to do is almost structure a thing around them where you can say, here are some logical choices for why you'd make, you know, so think about the end use, think about the, you know, the guy on the street, the retailer, or the cash in circulation. People say that's the banks, the ATMs, the cash in transit people, all these people have to touch and use this, this product, this device. And actually, the use cases by country can vary quite wildly, right? So, you know, the way that people use and store and deal with money in our country is completely different to the sort of customers we deal with perhaps in in parts of sub-Saharan Africa or the or Polynesia or these sorts of places. So, you know, that it's, it's really important that you understand the, the use case. And then you can get them onto sort of the, the things they'll absolutely have an opinion on, which is, you know, what, what kind of themes do you want on it and what's representative of the country? But also you can even guide them on that because if, you, if you're faced with some countries that kind of go... You, We've had, you know, think about the, the five pound note, UK five pound. It had the same sort of look and feel to it. It's really since the nineteen sixties, right? When you know, queen on the right, denomination on the left, you know, and and it's followed that pattern. And many countries are on, in that sort of zone, and they and they often come to us with a brief, which is, we like what we've got, but we want to modernise it a bit. And that's a really imponderable, you know, perhaps maybe like some of the brand guys are like, how do I update a football club logo, right? It's, it's highly emotional. Lots of people love it. And what do you do with it? You're, out, you're just out for a kicking, aren't you? You're out for everyone to hate it. Well, it, that's the, that's the tightrope, I think, you know, that you walk on this particular design because people, lots of people have lots of vested interests. They're iconic for a nation, right? And you start tinkering with that for better or for worse, someone is going to have an opinion. Um, and so you can, one of the great things we have is because we do so many of you know, denominations around the world. Well, look what so-and-so is doing. And look at this one. This is a great example. And here's someone who completely threw the past away and went completely different. And that gives them some either confidence to say, no, no, what I really want is exactly what I've got. Or, you know what, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really happy to move and, and there's some reason to it. And, and for them, it gives them a logical basis by which they can... You know, it's data. You know, they're economists. They love data. And you go, here's all the reasons why people have made style choices. And you can even make style a sort of data-driven decision. It sounds very odd, but it's a data-driven decision. And so that's what we, that's what we try and do and how we try and help, help them through that process. So uh, you guys, Delarue, were responsible for the £5 note that was introduced um, towards the end of last year. In the process of, of designing that, how far kind of in the, the process did you try and push it further? Were there kind of proposals for it to be completely different either way or the bank being slightly different in that they have um the, the many of our customers around the world in that they have the, a, a very professional team that look at technology look at design and make a lot of the calls within their own four walls so if, I, if i'm working with with you know the, the maldives monetary authority Delarue do quite a lot of the work with that bank whereas with the bank of england you know it's, it's a 
you know, for the better phrase, Premier League, uh, First World Bank. It does quite a lot of that stuff itself. So it already done, already conducted quite a lot of trials with the public and technically with different sorts of substrates. That's what we call the paper or the plastic that sits under it. Um, and, and also you know, did quite a lot of its own testing with the public to see what public perception would be like, the feel, the look, those sorts of things. And consciously, in their minds, was if we're changing the substrate to this brand new technology, polymer, with its window and its different, its different feel and texture, one of the things they were quite conscious of was not changing the design because you, you don't want, in, in their view, and following their testing, you don't want to make two big leaps at the same time because that, that's, that might be difficult for the public to, to follow. I guess it has to remain trusted as well, doesn't it? Th- that's exactly the point, right? You, th- this, is a, this is a vehicle of trust, and I've got to believe that when you give me my fiver or my tenor that it's, it's, it's genuine, and, and I think that, that weighs heavy on any, any, on any central bank's kind of, kind of mind and why you might change the design, and public education is a huge part of a, a new series release. And actually, we were saying earlier that the new five-pound note, having now familiarised ourselves with it, but at the time it felt like a big step on the material, mm. the the um, loss of the kind of uh, watermark and actually the window and things like that. How has the kind of technology affected uh, maybe other currencies that you've worked with? It, it, it's... It's quite liberating, actually. So, so the reason you, you go to polymers, one of the big reasons, is around durability. So, so a, a polymer, as you probably saw on the Bank of England's website, you know, polymer notes last much longer. You can chuck them in water uh, more effectively; they'll survive uh, most most things. So, so durability is a key part of it. But actually, it, it frees up some of the design constraints that you might have had in the past. You can start doing interesting things with the window. So. Um, an example I've got here is uh, for the Bank of Scotland, who also are an issuing authority in the United Kingdom. Um, and with the windows there, we've designed, this is their, their main building, and for the windows, we've put the windows where the windows are in That's the building, great. right? So you can, you, you can play with it a bit more. Because it seems like a very tough brief. Are you finding that the materials are, are giving you more opportunity to play? Y- y- they do. And, and I think central banks generally, actually, for paper or polymer, actually, are are starting to push the boat a little bit more. So one of the, one of the big trends we see in, um, if you call it a trend in banknotes, because the cycle, the product cycle is so long, um, is, is for this sort of bold colour. So I've, I've got some examples here from Fiji and from the Maldives, and equally I could quote from, from Uganda or, or other places, where you're going to far more brighter colours. So here we've got sort of aquas and, and peach colours and, and yellows. And, and they didn't, you know, 20 years ago, you wouldn't have seen that stuff really on banknotes. And, and one is... Um, Ink coverage is good for durability. It lasts longer. It hides the dirt, frankly. Uh, so so that's that's a good thing. But also, I think it's far more representative of some of these countries. They want to reflect some of their, you know, be the materials or their fabrics or the sun, the sea and the sky of some of their, their countries in, in that way, in, in that sort of vibrant, colourful way, rather than very knocked back sort of notes that we're used to perhaps in Europe. Is the, does the brief differ much? You, you said it has to, um, or a lot of the time it represents national identity mm. or has something. Is there? Have you ever tried to get some more information on there or try and do more with it as a vehicle to reach millions of people travelling to these countries? Some countries consciously do, so practically, because I, mean, I talked about designing for end users. Some of them are absolutely about one of our big end users are tourists and they need to know really quickly what this is worth, whether it's authentic, and, and those sorts of things, as well as being representative of the country. So back to some of these hot countries, Seychelles we did recently, now the you know, famous tourist destination, all about the flora and fauna. So not only is it an, a source of national pride for them, it's about showing the tourists arriving on their shores, look at these, this is kind of, you know, here's the wonderful world of the Seychelles. And Maldives was similar, so they, they went for a, um, a watercolour 
does design. They used a local artist. Again, they, they've represented kind of the culture and the spirit of the islands as, as they perceive it. And it's great, you know, because as a tourist arriving, you kind of go, oh, yeah, like, I think they've got turtles and they've got whale sharks and this looks pretty interesting kind of festival they've got going on. It's a tough, it's, um, tough research trip for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Swanning around in the fauna of the Maldives. I mean, yeah, I feel for you. I know, I know, I know. Someone's got to do it. Someone's got to do it. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's great. You spoke then about working with local artists. Tell us about that. Is that something you try and do in all of the different countries? It's not the dominant way of doing things. We design, you know, ah, oh, goodness me, maybe about 60-odd new, four, between 40 and 60 new notes go live, notes or note series go live a year on average. But recently we, we've, we have seen nations bringing on their, a local artist to do some of the design work. So um, Maldives used used the watercolor artist. Macedonia used an artist locally recently. Um, even RBS used a design agency to put together some of the some of the design, the graphic art element, if you like. And I think that's quite interesting. And 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 countries like Switzerland have done that for quite a long time. Um, Dutch used to famously before the euro. And what's nice about it is is you know sometimes you just can't get better than a, than a boy or a girl that lives in the country, right, to represent a country. And and for us as as a, as a security printer, we then work really closely with them to get turn that into a banknote because what we bring are the smarts around how do you actually turn that into a functional secure product so that you know the, the graphic art's great but how does a watercolor work in a secure way that you can can't counterfeit that's got right security features in it? so effectively we then redraw and reoriginate that artwork so the watercolors uh, as, as one example is it's, it's super hard because actually it's, it's it's the complete opposite to what banknote printing is about banknote printing is about fine lines dots micro Micro print, micro you know, fine line printing. Um, whereas watercolor is all about washes, so <laughs> we've had to almost redesign. If you look really closely, you'll see on the watercolors it is essentially lines and dots creating the impression of a watercolor, like a silk screen almost. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, we we use um screen printing as well in, in some of, for some of the features in in, in banknotes. So typically it's it's offset intaglio screen. Um, but yeah, it's 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 great. And and what what you get with a local artist, of course, is they push you. Um, to places that you might not go if you were just designing it yourself because you're, you're designed for what you know rather than what can't be done. And, and indeed, we, we have to sometimes have those uncomfortable conversations where we go, that can't be done with this type of technology. You know? <laughs> let's, let's talk about that. Like what the kind of the, the design kind of practicalities, what are you designing these things in and then the technologies and that printing process? Yeah. Um, because it does feel, I mean, for obvious reasons that I couldn't just go and try and kind of uh, get a quote off our local printer and go <laughs> so what i want what i'm after is uh, like can you can you kind of elaborate a little bit on that process when i talk to designers you know friends and they say oh wow you know banknotes are all a bit you know a bit i don't i don't think they are but but you know they're all a bit old-fashioned and that you know you're modern design in them and and you go well we're actually the other point big point we're making is we're designing a product right it's not just the graphic art it's very easy to make something that looks a bit cool right but when you're designing from the from the substrate up, you've got to design the watermark. In the, in the in the paper, you're designing about how does the thread and the thread track run. All of that can move. You're making that paper on a cylinder mold, so you've got to design that. Then the print needs to work with it. You're using inks that obviously you want to dry and to stick to the note in a certain way. And and on polymer, it's different to as it on paper. Um, and then the thing's got to last in the field. So you're designing again around how the, how's the note going to be used? How's it going to be scrunched up? How's it going to be stuffed into wallets? And all of that 
it affects the design rules. So we worked a quite a tight set of design rules that we can be, be absolutely sure that we can manufacture what we're making. It's like any product, right? If you're making a car or, or other thing, you, you're designing to a set of patterns that allow you then to, to build the note. And then that goes through our manufacturing process. And so we're allowed to, you know, which is all about, you, know, you want to drive the efficiency, you want to drive the quality uh, and make sure you're delivering uh, banknotes that are perfect for your customers. Um, are you guys at Delarue terrified of contactless? Oh, no, no. <laughs> but surely, as, as soon as everyone adopts that, you're done. Well, you, you've answered the question with your question. So uh, cash globally is growing by about 4%. And we do quite a lot of studies of cash, in, as you might expect, cash in circulation and, and what's driving it. And generally, GD is that there is a complete tight correlation between GDP growth and cash in circulation. Even in this country, whilst it's unarguable that contactless and digital payments are increasing, cash in circulation is also increasing. You know, that, that's, that's an open question as to why is that happening? So, so we're, we're trying to understand it. So I don't see it going away very quickly. The other point, uh, cash is, is ultimately democratic in the sense that I do not have to buy a smartphone uh, to be able to pay for stuff or be paid. And when you're in the world today, when there's sort of, you know, 70, 80% of the world's population are unbanked, cash is still a huge part of most economies. It's very easy for us, you know, and I'm the same, you know, I go and buy my coffee contactless and a lot of food, contact, travel on the tube, get used to it, um, not using cash so much. But, you know, as soon as you're outside of that European or, or you know, North American context, uh, you know, paper money, plastic money is, is absolutely the, the, the is currency. Um, I wanted to ask, it, it sounds like, uh, especially with the the kind of uh, money in this country, there's probably more constraints. If you're given any country and as, as free a brief as possible, are there other things that you think make currencies more successful than others in the design of them? I think it comes, always comes back to the end user. Um, what is successful for them? Because I, I think, you know, Western design aesthetic versus um, a design aesthetic somewhat in other part of the globe is, is wildly widely different but there are some basics and, and i think you know if you there are people that study how people look at notes right <laughs> just you get the arcane uh you know and actually a face really works so so a figurehead be a monarch or, or a, another national important character having the denominations really clear and actually you want your domin- denominations ideally in contrast so you want a dark blue against a dark blue five against a white background or a white blue against a dark background for example those things are what people look for once within milliseconds those are the two things they'll look for straight away to tell them whether it's real or real or fake if they're still a bit unsure they then look for the watermark which is why the, actually the arrival of windows in polymer is important because people are still looking for some substrate based feature that they can look at I think if you've got those things down, you can then go wherever you want in terms of successful note design and, and move around because you, you want you know you want to be able to authenticate it quickly and you want it aesthetically uh, pleasing. That said, a lot of countries are now moving to flora and fauna for the very reason that they are not political and and you know with lots of countries, um, you know with with either either political bias or reasons of history, they just don't want people on their notes anymore. Some constitutions ban it actually. Um, because you know it's, it's, it's somebody's father or it's somebody's son mm. or it's someone of a political orientation, um, and and actually they, they look great. They look great, but there is that people do still look for a face. Amazing! Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, I do. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks so Thank much. Thank you. And we promise we'll we'll get all of those fake notes out of Will's pockets before he goes. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Will, what did you make of that? Just. A whole new levels, not just another level of respect. Just everything that goes into it. Something that I've 
just not looked at anywhere near enough. I think it's absolutely, I think it's absolutely amazing. I think the the thought and the consideration and the process and the all the detail is just, I'm in awe. It's so exciting, isn't it? Yeah. He speaks so beautifully about it as well that there's so much to consider. But also the examples that he had, like the Maldives felt like the Maldives. They felt like once you you made that connection, they felt um, representative of that country, which is obviously not an easy thing to do. Also, the UV light that you showed us on the banknotes, absolutely amazing. Yeah, you missed you missed that, listeners. Afterwards, he showed us the UV light on some some banknotes, and it's absolutely amazing. If you have a UV torch handy, put those two together. You're gonna be you're gonna love it. Um, who would I like to see on the coin? Judy Dench, because she's well, she might as well. She quite looks quite similar to the Queen, but she's something like that. So, like the, a figurehead of English film or a figurehead of something that represents England. I think she would, or Maggie Smith, because she's a legend. Um, I would have Gavin Hastings, who was a former Scotland rugby captain and who I hope will be the next president of our country. I think I'd keep the Queen. Of course, you could say Winston Churchill, but that's, you know, 18 years ago now. And, um, uh, yeah, I'll keep the Queen. Michelle Obama. On a British pound coin. Yeah, role model all across the world. So, Al, uh, we've obviously heard from a few different people there. What's has your, has your opinion of kind of currency and what goes into it changed that much? I think it has massively, actually, probably more than any of the podcasts up till now. I did think at the beginning it was just boring, dry, conservative... Um, really terrible design brief, but actually, it seems like the most rich, beautiful, fascinating world that I had absolutely no idea about. And the idea of what makes something successful, more than ever really with currency, seems to depend on that end user and what they're trying to get out of it or what part of the world they're from or the cultural context. And I think there's so much more complexity in different audiences than my, I guess, my narrow-minded view on what money did before today has, has opened up. How about you? What do you think makes it successful then? I think there's a big thing on the kind of cultural context that it should represent to some degree the country um, in which it's the currency of. And I think the thing that came up a number of times is this element of trust. You've got to trust that Mm. the the thing you're being given does hold the value that it says on it. I think that's exactly it, isn't it? It is a transfer of, of value and that has to be believed for it to work. And I didn't really ever think about that. And that's really why they all look like they do currently because that is a style or a idea that we believe and we have trust in if it was too wacky you'd never believe it do you think money's gonna be around for a long time no i'm i think this is where you and i differ a lot i think it has a role to play and i think it will probably exist to some degree I, as i say this i'm being reminded of the fact that julian did say that kind of it is being used more and more but i just can't believe that we're not going to default to what is easy and what is simple. We are, but that's in the UK. I mean, money is going to be around for our lifetime in the world. There's absolutely no doubt about that. That is your opinion, Alex. (laughs) We need to have a bet. Let's have a bet on it now. Fiverr, Fiverr. This episode of the It's Nice That podcast was brought to you by It's Nice That and the team at Radio Wolfgang. It featured me, Alex Beck and Will Hudson talking to Professor Mary Morgan and Julian Payne, as well as an insert from Ben Alsop. The executive producer was Harry Watson, assistant producer was Natalia Rodriguez and the producer was Ivor Mann. Do 
Do you think over the 10 years we've known each other more than that, I owe you money or you owe me money? Without a shadow of doubt, you owe me money. No way! Mm. No, I think you're right. You're much... I'll share the spreadsheet with you after. <laughs> I'll uh, itemise since day one. <laughs> Counting my coppers.